Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to read, uh, starting verse 3, then I'm going to read down through verse 7. Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. The title of the message this morning is Thinking Biblically. Thinking biblically, taken there from verse 7, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, for this written record. And herein, by this written record, we can have assurance and knowledge of eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Father, we thank you for that, the truth of thy word. We pray as we look into the word of God today that we allow it to examine our hearts, our minds, allow it to speak. I pray that we'd have minds and hearts that are open, willing to listen and hear what saith the Lord to us. So, Lord, have your will and way, and may you be glorified, and may we be helped. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, our problems, our sin, is the results of wrong thinking. Every sin starts with a thought. You know, there's this, now I'm not sure who even who even is credited with this quote. It was, quote, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an act, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny, unquote. It all starts with a thought. You sow a thought, and the consequences will be action. You see, the mind is the battleground. There was a book written by, I'm trying to remember who wrote it, uh, The Battle for the Mind. It's a preacher from years ago. And that is the battleground. You know, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, by the renewing of your mind. You see, the secret or the key to be a living sacrifice is to allow your mind to be transformed. It begins in the mind. It requires a transformation of the mind. We must learn to think biblically and then we will act biblically. But if we don't think biblically, we're not going to act biblically. We saw that in our Sunday school lesson this morning. 
And so this morning, I want to look at some of the apostles' thinking progress processes. And I want to notice I got five major points, but don't get too alarmed. I think I'll be done in time, and with just a couple sub points for a few of them. But anyway, and first of all, I want to notice five things from this past scripture. First of all, and an act of appreciation. Notice verse three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, to be thankful means really to express appreciation. Appreciation is defined as the act of estimating the quality of things and giving them their proper value. You know, we appreciate that which we value. If we don't value things, we don't appreciate them. It's that simple. So appreciation is, 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 an, is, is whereby we estimate the quality or value of things. It demonstrates what we value. You know, this really requires some thought and some discipline. You know, after all, I want you to think of the context here where the Apostle Paul is. Time of this writing. He's in a Roman jail. A Roman jail. He was unable to fulfill his calling in life. Or was he? Did he allow the Romans to keep him from thinking right, from continuing his writing and his ministering to churches? Did he allow the Romans to keep him from doing that? Even though they had him as a prisoner in jail? And of course, we know the answer to that is... No. No. See, he didn't allow the Romans to govern what was going on in his mind. You know what the problem is? Too often we allow the world to govern what goes on in our minds. We got caught up with the things of the world, what's going on in the world, and everything that's happening. And we, before we know it, we can have the world controlling our minds. And therefore, by and thereby, we become unthankful and ungrateful people. Because there isn't a whole lot in the world to be thankful for. It's all temporary to start with. You know, Paul was thankful. He was appreciative. He still had life. He still had opportunity, which he made to instruct, to write to the churches, to give us the word of God, to fulfill his ministry that the Lord had given. He was still thankful for those things. He was thankful that he had eternal life. He could have still been persecuting Christians and headed for a devil's hell. Do we as Americans appreciate the liberties that we have had? Do we value the knowledge that God has made available to us? Do we value the, the, that we have a reliable translation of the Bible in our own language? Do you realize there's 2,200 languages that don't have a Bible in their language? That don't have a Bible in their language. 2,200 in the world. And we've had one for 400 years. Do we appreciate or value the opportunity that to be in, involved in this service with the Lord. Labors together with God. Opportunities that God gives us. Or are we so focused on ourselves and the obstacles, the world, the devil has thrown in our path, that we don't see the opportunities that we have. 
You know, if, if Paul would have been focused on the, the, the obstacles that were thrown in his path, he wouldn't have been appreciative of what he had. He wouldn't have been thankful for the Philippian believers. He would have been focused on that, and he would have lost the opportunity he had to write this letter to the Philippian believers and to us. See, Paul was still rejoicing in his salvation and, and the calling God had given him and, he, and turned the obstacles the devil threw in his way and the world threw in his way as opportunities. You know, so many times we've been so greatly blessed like others have gone before us and we don't appreciate it. You know, Hezekiah was a king who had been greatly blessed of God. He had called on the Lord to deliver him from the Sennacherib and the Assyrians, and the Lord had delivered him. And this was a great opportunity for him to praise the Lord and give glory to God. But, but the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 32.25, He rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him, upon Judah and Jerusalem. You know, a lack of appreciation and gratitude can turn one into a proud, self-sufficient, selfish tyrant. King Joash, who Jehoiada, the godly priest, protected and made king, anointed king at seven years old, delivered him from that wicked Athaliah, you remember, his own grandmother who wanted to kill him. That that Jehoiada, but after Jehoiada's death, Joash stoned his son, Zechariah, who spoke to him the word of the Lord. Again, 2 Chronicles 24, 22, Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada's father had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord look upon it and require it. See, he didn't appreciate it. He didn't value what God had done for him or what Jehoiada had done for him. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 106, in verses 12 through 15, you know, this is human nature. You know, we can point fingers at those that have gone before us, but we are just like them. Psalm 106, verse 12 through 15, it says, Then believed they his words, they sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. You know, they forgot. How often we forget, we don't appreciate what God has done. You know what the next step is? We don't wait on His counsel. Would you like we heard in Sunday school this morning? We look for ways to justify ourselves. Or we seek counsel from those who will tell us what we want to hear. And the Bible says that He sent leanness. In other words, there was a lack of basic need. But it says leanness into their soul. In other words, they were never satisfied. You see, the things of the world, the counsel of the world, isn't going to satisfy your soul's need. It isn't going to meet your need. The world and world counsels never brings peace to a troubled heart. So Paul had 
despite his circumstances, he had an active appreciation for the blessings that he had. This appreciation also brings, secondly, a continual celebration. Notice verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, make requests with joy. Paul said, you know, he said, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. You know, I think Paul's thinking about their salvation, how God is working in their lives. And, and this just brings joy and cause of celebration. And of course, it reminds him of his own salvation, what God had done in his own life, that he was able to share it with them and their fellowship with the Lord. And these are the kind of things that, as Christians, we are to focus on or to set our hearts on. For example, in, in Philippians chapter 4, he will tell them, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. This is to be our focus in life. If all I think about and listen and read is what's going on in the world, the political upheaval, the international unrest, it builds anger. And mistrust. And you know what I soon do? I forget the real purpose I'm here. I'm talking about me. See, the real purpose that we're here is to be a witness for the Lord. We are here as His ambassadors. And if you're an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't stoop to the mindset of the world. You know, we must continue to serve God no matter what happens in the world. Do I like what's going on in the world? No, I don't. And I will support just causes. But I'm not going to be taken from my purpose by the grace of God and get caught up in that where I'm no good spiritually to those that God brings to my life as opportunities of witness. You know, I was reminded of this the other day. You know, we've been selling some chickens. We bought some chicks, and so we buy chicks and raise them a little bit and start selling them. Daniel's making a little money that way. We don't make a lot, but we do make a little money. Gives him a job to do, which he really loves. Anyway, so this guy comes to buy chicks. And we started talking about political st- stuff. But, you know, and, well, I, I can get caught up in that. I, I didn't, this, this day, I didn't let it go too long until I turned it around to spiritual spiritual things. And I, and the Lord gave me an opportunity. It was an opportunity. But you know, I could have I could have screwed it up. I could have talked the whole time. And he would have. But the Lord gave me grace and allowed me to turn it to spiritual things and I probably talked to that man for a half hour. About spiritual needs in his life. See that's that is much more important 
than who really is in the White House. As much as I, I dislike that as much as the rest of you do, but it's still more important about that man's soul than who's in the White House. So we're here to be ambassadors. And we continue to celebrate the life of God in us. We must continue to radiate this life to the world. You know, that life is the solution to hatred of the division that's in our country. That is the solution. You know, Paul was writing from a Roman jail cell, writing to a city in which, in which he and Silas were beaten and thrown into jail for preaching the gospel. You know, and these churches endured much affliction. They were on their constant threat of persecution, and yet we're reminded here to rejoice in the Lord. He would tell them in chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. You see, our joy is our strength. It is a contagion. In other words, it's contagious. It's something that attracts others. Somebody said this quote, both cheerfulness and grumbling are contagious. And it's up to you what kind of an epidemic you start. Unquote. So you want to start a grumbling epidemic or you want to start a cheerful epidemic? You know, I had a guy called me, an acquaintance, a month or so ago. He's just down in the dumps. I think he thought he was, you know, coming to the end of himself, really, because he got COVID. And he has some health issues. And I said, well, I said, and I won't call his name, but I'll say his name was Jake. I said, Jake, now wait a minute. You know that 99.8% of the people that get this recover. Oh, really? I said, yeah. And my 93-year-old dad got it, and he recovered. He has congestive heart failure. And my cousin's mother, who was 94, she got it, and she recovered. And I gave him a bunch of others. And, you know, before, before we got off the phone, he was laughing. You know what? A little cheerfulness made a difference instead. So, depends what epidemic you want to start. There was a continual cheerfulness. Thirdly, there was an act of participation. Notice verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And then drop down to verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. You know, when a person is received into a company, are they not expected to be an active participant in serving that company? You know, nobody comes into the, the office, I trust, and says, well, I'm here. I'm expecting a pay at the end of the week from this company, but I'm here just to serve myself. I am employed here, but I'm not employed for the company. <laughs> no. That guy would be shown the door. You know, they were hired. They were brought in for a purpose. 
And when we get saved, we are safe with a purpose. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You, when the people of Philippi were born again through the preaching of Paul and Silas and organized into church, that's what we see in verse 1, to the saints at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So that's, the word bishop is another word for pastor. So they had pastors, deacons, and there was, and there was church members. So when, when they were born again and organized into the church, they, they, they immediately were active serving God. See, how do I know that? Well, in verse 5 he says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now the word fellowship doesn't mean a fellowship dinner. That's not what really fellowship means. Fellowship is working together for a common purpose. And Paul further in this epistle describes their fellowship. Look at verse chapter 4 and verse 10. Chapter 4 and verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at your last your care of me hath flourished again wherein you are also careful but you lacked opportunity. Drop down to verse 14. Notwithstanding you have well done that you did communicate with me with my affliction. And this communication wasn't writing or sending letters. Because read on here. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that it may account bound to your account. You see, they began to fellowship or work together with Paul immediately by supporting him financially. He was like, he, they considered him one of their missionaries. As we would say, you know, some of those people that we, that we support financially to take gospel, we consider them our missionaries. And so we are, we are fellowshipping together with them to get the gospel in whatever region or part of the world they are in. That's fellowship. They were working together. And this began from the first, Paul said. They immediately began to, to become, participate in the gospel. They were working together for a specified goal of getting the, Gospel out. You know, this was one of the churches of Macedonia. In fact, this was the first city of Macedonia that Paul went to after he got that Macedonian vision in Acts chapter 14 or, or, or maybe it's chapter 16. And so they became active, they became active in participating in the work of the gospel, not only in their own region, but in also in other places. They were active participants of his grace. If you notice in verse 7, Ye all are partakers of my grace. Grace has to do with a favor and blessing of God bestowed upon, on, on those, uh, bestowed upon us. And so they had, they had received of the grace of God and, and they were giving evidence of that by their participation in giving out the gospel. You know, if we want to be rejoice, if we want to have the uh, uh, celebrate what God has done for us and is doing for us, we have to be active in participation. We want to reap the benefits. You know, Matthew 19, 28 and 29, Jesus said unto them, Barely, barely I say unto you, that he which hath, ye which have followed me in the regeneration, 
When the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or land, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. When you, when you fulfill your purpose and become an active participant in the work of God, you're willing to forsake houses and brothers. You're willing to put, basically what you're saying there is, you're willing to put God first and let God direct your life. There's a reward. There's a grace that is bestowed upon you. And there is a reward that shall be brought to pass. Romans 8.18 For I reckon that sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, John 14 Let not your heart be troubled. That's good counsel for right now. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. But what not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Yeah, this sounds rewarding to me. It sounds almost unbelievable. You see, God's grace and mercy will be disposed upon those who actively participate. As Paul says here, you are all partakers of my grace. There was an act of participation in the gospel. You know what you don't find in the Bible is, you don't find people who get saved and then don't join a church and get active. You don't find those examples. What you do find is people, when they get saved, they join a church and they get active. There's participation. Fourth thing, a Bible-based persuasion. So we have appreciation, celebration, participation, persuasion. A Bible-based persuasion. Verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The word confident means to be persuaded or have a, uh, or a persuasion. Will perform means to bring to an end, to accomplish, to perfect, to execute, or complete. Now, so... Paul said, I am really persuaded, or I am confident, or I am persuaded that if God started a work in you, he's going to carry it out. If God isn't continuing to work in your life, you better start examining your life, whether you are a child of God. Because what when God... When God begins a work in you, he will perform it. In other words, he's going to execute or he's going to complete it. He's going to accomplish his task in your life. For his glory on. 2 Thessalonians 3, 4, he says, And we have confidence, in other words, we have confidence that we are persuaded in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do things which we command you. 
confidence, persuaded. This requires two things, I believe, for a person to be biblically persuaded. Two things. Number one, a heart to believe his word. You know, eight times in the Gospels, Jesus used a phrase, sometimes it's not exactly this wording, but it's the same idea. He'd use this phrase, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He said that over and over again. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In John 10, 16, he says, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. My sheep hear. The reason people don't want to follow the Lord is because they're not His sheep. Romans, or Revelation 3.12, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You see, what God begins, if God begins a work in your life through salvation in Christ, he's going to continue to work in your life to bring it forth to perfection or maturity. After all, it is the life of God. It is eternal life. It never ceases to be. See, our problem is, we'd rather talk than listen. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my brother, beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So too often, we're more interested in our feelings and our justification for our action, and we don't want to listen to the voice of God through His Word or the man of God. I was talking to several pastor friends about an individual not in this church. And one of the pastors said this, his problem is he don't listen. He has all the answers and all he wants to do is tell you what his opinions are. And I said, you know what, I believe you're right. Works for the guy. He don't listen. Isaiah 30 verse 9 says that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Jeremiah 13 17, but if you will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride. And mine eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. It all reminds me of in Matthew's Gospel it tells us that Jesus looked out over Jerusalem. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you as a hen gathereth her chicks, but ye See, they wouldn't hear. They wouldn't hear him. I mean, they heard him with this ear, but their hearts were so hard against him, they would not receive the truth. They wanted to justify their own wickedness. 
Jeremiah 22.5 says, But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, saith the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. In Acts 3.23, Peter, speaking to the, to the children of Israel, says this, And it came to pass, it shall come to pass, that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. He was talking about Christ. Moses was speaking of Christ. That was a quotation from Moses. And Moses was speaking about that prophet, and that prophet is Jesus Christ. And he said, If you will not hear him, ye shall be destroyed. You know, somebody gave some good advice, though, one time said this, and I don't know where this quote came from, but it said this, quote, Before you argue with someone, ask yourself, is this person mentally, mentally mature enough to grasp a different perspective? If not, there is no point to argue, unquote. And we have examples of this in the Bible. In fact, go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. <clears throat> We see examples throughout the book of Acts like this. Acts 13, 43 says, Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which are spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the multitude and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. You see, the, the Jews became envious... And their hearts were hardened. What they do? They chose not to hear. Chose not to hear. We see this again in Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. And uh, Paul is now at Rome. And so he sends for the Jews that are in Rome. You know, he always said to the Jew first and then to the Greek. So he always gave Jews first opportunity, but he always went to the Gentiles. It says in verse 17, It came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So he's telling a little bit what happened at Rome. And they said, Well, we haven't heard anything about it, but we'd like to hear thee. Verse 22 says, But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Sounds good so far, right? And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him in his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. That would be a long service. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet under our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. You see, we have to have ears 
that are willing to hear. And what that really means is we have to have a heart that's willing to accept the truth. And the truth is, you and I are wicked, depraved creatures that need A lot of people buck up at that because they don't think they need help. Or they don't think, I'm not that bad. There's none righteous. That means we're all unrighteous. There's none that understand it. I didn't come out of the womb understanding God. I had to be taught who God was. You see, we have to be willing to receive the truth. And that's what it means to hear. When Jesus said, you have ears to hear, it means are you willing to receive the truth? And the truth hurts. But the truth is right. So we have to have a heart to believe his word. Secondly, there has to be to, to, to have a Bible-based persuasion as a child of God, it requires a growing knowledge of his person. If you notice in verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he, and that is the key here, he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You might say, well, I got saved, now it's all up to me. No, it isn't. You must have still have that same attitude that I am wicked, I am, I am, uh, What's, how, what's the word, the proverb? More brutish. You know what that word brutish means? I'm more brutish than any man. That's what Solomon said. That means I'm more stupid. We are naturally stupid. We are not naturally bright or naturally wise. So it means we have to continue to have that same attitude. God, I need your wisdom. I need your understanding. I need your thinking process. I need to learn to think like you do. See, if we're going to have a Bible-based persuasion to have confidence in our walk with the Lord and not be tossed about with this world, we have to continue to rely on the Lord. He that hath begun will continue to work in you. It's He that continues that work. As we submit to Him, as we yield to Him, as we obey Him. That goes back to hearing. The two things go together. You know, so many Christians in this world today aren't, aren't persuaded. They're not confident in their walk with the Lord. Because they think they can rely on themselves. You know, Paul said this, 2 Timothy 1.12 For the which cause I also suffer these things. You know, he suffered a lot of things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Did you ever get embarrassed because of your of doing what is right? You know what Paul is saying? I don't get embarrassed for doing what is right. Because I have confidence that I'm right. Because of my growing knowledge 
For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able, not I am able, that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. You see, we have a written record of the testimony of God demonstrating to us that what he says he will do. You know, ask Abraham. Ask Pharaoh. Take a good look at the nation of Israel. Do you ever ask yourself, why does Israel still exist? You know, that is a good legitimate question. Why does Israel still exist? Where's the Hittites? You know, for thousands of years, Bible scholars thought there was something wrong in the Bible because it talks about the Hittites. Because they have, up until just recently, they found no trace of the Hittites. So just recently. The Bible talks about the Hittites. You're right, the Hittite. Where's the Philistines? Anybody know where the Philistines are? But yet we still have a nation of Israel. A very distinct nation of Israel. In fact, it's a miraculous Israel. After all, the Bible says, I will bless him that blesseth thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee. You know, Israel's a miracle. Like, you know, they took over in 1948. They became a nation. And that land was a disastrous desert. Just an arid desert. And now look at it. Isaiah 35.1 says, That wilderness and solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. Why? Because God promised Israel that land. And by the way, they didn't drive the Arabs out. They begged the Arabs to stay. They're trying to rewrite that from history, but they actually begged the Arabs to stay. Arab chieftains told the Arabs to get out. So now they can make a false claim that that land was stolen from them. And I can tell you more about that, but I don't have time. No, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 20, 20, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Or you could say you could be persuaded. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. See, to believe God is to believe his prophets. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith it is possible to believe him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. See, we need to be growing in our knowledge of God. We need to be reading the Bible, reading these Old Testament accounts. You know, some of them don't seem profitable, but it will reveal to you the person of God and how he relates to saints and sinners. In justice, in mercy, in grace. Daniel 11.32 says this, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And so we need to have a growing knowledge. If you want to be fully persuaded, and Paul said, I am fully persuaded, if you want to be persuaded, you have to have, you need a growing knowledge of who God is, of the person of God. And then, fifthly, 
a developing confirmation. Notice verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Now, the word confirmation means something that confirms or as a, it's a corroborative statement or a piece of evidence. You know, to confirm something means to establish the truth, the accuracy, the validity, or the genuineness of it. What is it that confirms our testimony? Is it our words? What we say we believe? Well, I don't know about you. I've heard many people over the years who declared they believe Bible truth. But when it came time for them to submit to that truth, to prove it in their lives, to verify their words, it was a different story. That's not even what the Bible says. You know, all of a sudden it doesn't apply to them or it doesn't mean what that and they want to disassociate themselves from that or be accountable for their actions is really what the bottom line is. Like King Saul. He wanted the he wanted the leadership of Samuel until that leadership of Samuel contradicted his own agenda. And he no longer wanted that leadership of Samuel. He wanted Samuel to tell him what he wanted to hear. See, it's our words that prove or, no, it's, it's our actions that prove the validity, that confirm our faith. You see, the fact that Paul would go to lengths in preaching the gospel, obeying the commandment, that he was willing to go to jail for it, confirmed or proved or validated that his Christianity was real. He wasn't going to change the message. Oh, you can offer a little sense sense to the emperor once a month. That's okay and still be a Christian. No, 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 no. There was no compromise. His faith was real. And when the government tells you you can't meet, it's okay, it's okay. You know, you just got to obey the government. No, no, you need to prove your faith. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon a sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. You know that both of them heard the same things? But the outcomes were directly opposite. See, one heard and made it part of his life, received it into his life. It became 
who he was. Yeah, they heard it, but didn't act on it. It didn't become part of his life. It was just for convenience sake. You might say the wise man would end up in heaven and the foolish man will end up in hell. They both heard. It's what they did with what they heard. See, is there confirmation or proof in your life that you are a child of God? Your words don't prove it. Your actions do. Your actions do. When you're tried, your actions will prove who you really are. Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you because your actions are proving your faith. Are your actions proving your faith this morning? Are you thinking biblically? Have you truly been born again? And if you have, are you fully persuaded or are you growing in your knowledge and relationship 